Amen. Great job, Aaron. Man, that was incredible praise and worship, uh, singing. Uh, Many of those are the anthems of this generation, of just singing praise and worship to our Lord. Thank you so much. Um, And I've got to just say this. I want to especially thank the praise, uh, the instruments. Uh, That was incredible to do that with their mask on. Uh, that had to be an extra task to them. Could, could we just show our appreciation to them? Would you mind doing that? I, I was, I, I, thank y'all. And I, I have to tell you, just because of the people I, I, I'm friends with, I did take a picture of them in their mask on and sent it to Rick Burgess and said, I'm calling this Pandemic Praise 101. So uh, who knows, tomorrow morning maybe on the Rick and Bubba show. All right, so it is a joy to be back with you. Uh, we had a great time last night uh, with the parents and the teens, and uh, I, I'm an evangelist. My, I, I live in Birmingham, and uh, my job, my vocation is to get as many people as humanly possible under one roof at the same time. Welcome to 2020, okay? So the reason I'm in a suit is because I've been in PJs since March. I'm just glad to be somewhere, okay? So you're going to have to deal with me the way I am, all right? So uh, I want you to take your Bibles. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Let's jump right into it of what I'm calling, what what we're going to see as a post-pandemic follower of Christ because rules have changed, norm is gone, everything is new. The show is over. It's time to get real about this thing called life. And as I was thinking about this morning as the versus uh, theme, uh, I was like, man, we're, we're in a verse between a versus between norm and what God really wants us to be. Because sometimes uh, you have to go past what is just tradition, what has just always been done. And if there's one year that has been turned upside down, it's this one. And so as we're talking about this, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. Many of us know that Paul was called Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was someone who persecuted Christians. You know his story. But on the road to Damascus, something happened to him. He met Jesus. Now here's where you've got to hear me crystal clear. He didn't meet someone who told him about Jesus. He didn't go to a seminar to learn more about Jesus. He met Jesus. And when Jesus entered his life, changed everything about him. We know that his name was somehow started to be called Paul, and he later became the Apostle Paul. And wherever he went, God was using him to be the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. And he was in a place called Galatia, and the church just exploded. I mean, people were receiving the word of the Lord so warmly, so richly, that after his time there, he went on in his journeys. And as soon as he left, there was a group called the Judaizers. And when the Judaizers came in, they, they, were, they were pretty clever because they said, you know, Paul was almost right. you, you got to have Jesus, but you got to add something to it. If you really want to be right with God, not only do you need Jesus, you got to go through this thing, and they were going through a a, a thing, a ritual. And when Paul got wind of what was going on in Galatia, because there was so much confusion and uproar and, and just no harmony, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned this book called Galatians. And if you were to take the time to go through the book of Galatians, I'm giving you the synopsis. It is Paul refuting the the argument of adding anything to the work of Christ. In Paul's mentality, it is salvation is Jesus plus nothing. 
Don't add anything to him. Don't take anything away from the work of Christ. Salvation is the total work of Christ. And so when he gets to the end of the book of Galatians, he has kind of had enough, okay? And this is where I want you to look down in verse 17 and see if you can't relate to 2020. When Paul says, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version, he says, from now on, let no one trouble me. Some of you have the translation that says, let no one bother me. If there's one thing we can say in 2020 is everything is up in the uproar. So listen to what Paul says right after in the next phrase. He says, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And it is in that word, marks, that I want to launch out this morning and talk about the post-pandemic follower of Christ. Because the word marks is the Greek word stigmata. It would be the same word as a soldier's chevron stripes on their sleeve, but it means so much more. In fact, it is the same kind of intensity as if you were to go get a farmer or a cattle farmer and he or she were to teach you how to brand their cattle. That is what Paul is saying, is he's saying, I don't want anyone else to disturb me because of this uh, confusion going on, because I bear in my body the marks, the, the branding of Christ Jesus. And if there's ever been a time when you have to lose the confusion and get away from the distractions, it is going to be in these upcoming months of what are going to be the brands of our life, the, the, the marks of a follower of Christ. So keep your Bible out. I want to go through Galatians chapter 6, and I want to give you four marks that I believe we're going to have to have in our lives. Look down in verse 1. He says, brethren. Now that, uh, that is just like last night when I were to introduce myself to the students, I'd say, hey guys, okay? It is meaning everyone. So he's saying brothers, sisters, everyone. If someone is overtaken by a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one. So if you have a, a pen or a pencil, I want you to circle that word in verse 1, the word spiritual. Because that's going to be the first mark or the branding in our lives. We're going to be a spiritual person. Now, I know in 2020, when you use that phrase spiritual, people get confused. You're going, is that something Dr. Phil uses on afternoon television? Is that a word you Google on the internet and come up with a guy from Indiana who's selling, you know, crystals? What does the term spiritual really mean? Ladies and gentlemen, that is a scriptural term. In fact, I'm just going to come make it very obvious that Every one of us is in one of three conditions before God. Now, you can't be in two. You can't be exempt from all. Every one of us is in one of three conditions before God. The first one is a natural man, a natural woman. Now, that's basically how you're born. You, you come out from your mother's womb being a natural person. You're saying, well, that's so elementary. Well, it means a little bit more. It means that you were born in a fallen creation. That, that means that every one of us has got one thing in common. We may not know each other. We may grow up in different areas. But the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you don't believe me, I want to ask you a question. If you've ever told a lie in your entire life, okay, not just today, but in your entire life, would you just raise your hand right now? Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. I want you to look around the room right now. Do you see all the hands of the liars who came to church this morning, okay? You can drop your hand, but I want to tell you, if you didn't raise your hand, 
you just told a lie right then, all right? All right parents, let's, let me just talk to you again like last night. We don't teach our kids how to be bad. I came here and preached in 1991, and although I do not have the files, I dare to say that I probably preached a message entitled, 10 Surefire Ways to Raise Godly Kids. I had no business preaching that message. Tara and I got married in 1992. Now that we have kids, I may preach it, but I've changed it to three suggestions that may or may not work. You know what I'm saying? All right, that, it's, the, it's the difference between theory and reality. You know, how did this all happen? How is it that every one of us in this room, we all know how to be bad? No one has to teach us how to be bad. We have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and in the Garden of Eden, something happened. You see, the woman was deceived, but the man, Adam, deliberately disobeyed. And from that moment, sin has flown through the veins of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. We're sinners before a holy God. Now, I want you to hear me. I love to preach about the forgiveness of God. And I love to preach on the attributes of God, of his love, of his just, of his mercy. But I challenge you to take your Bible. You'll never read where it says three times where it says he is loving, loving, loving. But we always hear about that. You'll never read where it says he is forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. But we always hear about that. But you know what you will read? Listen, he is holy, holy, holy. Three times. That means absolute perfection. You know what that means? That means because of my sin, I can't come into his presence even on my best day. Now, here's the good news. When I couldn't come to him, he came to me. If you read the story, you realize for 33 years, Jesus walked among us, and he never once uses the phrase, pay me. He doesn't even say, thank me. He says, follow me. Why? Because he knew his mission on this planet. He went to the cross to do something for me I could not do for myself. He did something for you you could not do for yourself. He paid the price of my sin. And you see, when I was growing up, we'd always use the phrase, he's the God man. And preachers would describe it like this. They'd say, he's all man like he's no God. He's all God like he's no man. And I'd go, that is so cool. But you'll never understand it until you place him on the cross. Because it's on the cross, listen, guys and gals, when he was on the cross and lifted up, because he's all God, he is firmly grasped to God's deity. But because he's all man, at that point, he could reach out to the sinfulness of mankind. And when they lifted him up, Jesus became the one who bridged the gap between God and man together again. And apart from that, the Bible says you're a natural person. Now, there's a second condition. Not only is there the natural man, then Paul uses a, a, a phrase, a, a word in the book of Romans called a carnal man, a carnal woman. Now, now, if we know a natural man is someone that's just born on this planet in a fallen creation, what's a carnal person? The second condition before God, I, the way I would probably define that, let me just cut to the chase. In Alabama, I would probably say that is someone who says, I know God but then they live like they really don't. There, there's just, I'll tip my hat towards him, but I, I'm not going to surrender before him. In, in fact, Jesus says it like this, with their lips they praise me, but their hearts are far away. It's kind of like if you've ever stayed up late at night and tried to watch one of those international movies that they've dubbed into English. Have you ever tried? And, and the, the mouths are moving and it's not synced and it, it's just so confused. It's distracting. That's that's to me, is the life that says, hey, my audio says one thing, my video says another. That's the carnal person. 
And let me talk to you about the spiritual person. Probably one of the hardest ones to describe to you is you're sitting here this morning and going, what is a spiritual man? What is it? How in the world would you describe a spiritual woman? You know who that is? It's if you're in this room and you know Jesus. If you're in this room and Jesus has changed your life, I know you're sitting there going, wait a minute. I, I know I know Jesus, but don't call me a spiritual person. You know, no one's perfect. Well, can I just tell you something? If you know Jesus in this room, you know what he does? He presents you pure and blameless before the Father. It's not based on what you do or what you... When you come to know Jesus, you are perfect in your Father's eyes. Isn't that good news? Now, I know, I know in this world I'm supposed to be... I'm being molded into the image of Christ, and I'm on that transformational progress, but every day it's I know Jesus. Now, you may be sitting here going, wait a minute, I am so confused. I don't know if I'm a natural person. I don't know if I'm a carnal person. I don't even know if I'm a spiritual person. Here's the question that will answer it. Here it is. Has Jesus changed your life? Because you don't meet Jesus and get over him. You may meet a religion and get tired of it. You may meet a philosophy and find something newer. But you don't meet Jesus and get over it. I, there, I told the earlier service there's a Russian proverb. And I know we don't talk about Russia too much right now. But there's a Russian proverb. It's 100 years ago. Here's what the Russian proverb states. Those who've been infected with the disease of Jesus will never be cured. How about that in 2020? Those who've been infected with the disease of Jesus will never be cured. And so help me, I was going on a mission trip, okay? And um, um, I was going to a place, this was back when we could actually travel. And so I was going to a place and they told me I had to get a, um, a vaccination, okay? And I'm not arguing, should you, should you not? But I know what they told me I could catch at that time. I was going to get the vaccine, okay? So I got there, and uh, the, the doctor was about to give me a shot. He's a family friend. And I just, I, off the cuff, I went, Bert, what are you about to do to me? And I'll never forget what he did. He stopped, he tilted his head back, and he started chuckling. And he kind of said, he said, well, to be honest with you, Scott, I'm about to give you the disease. But he said, don't worry. Listen to me. He said, don't worry. I'm just going to give you enough of it so your body can build a defense against it and you'll never become infected. And all of a sudden, it galvanized in my mind. If you're not careful, in America, in the South, you'll get just enough Jesus in your system that you won't be infected by him. You'll just be vaccinated from him. You can show up and be a part of the services because these folks are talented. You can, you can sing the songs. They're uplifting. You can even hear the messages as long as they're short and got a couple of jokes, okay? But you, you'll be sitting there going, hey, how do I know if I'm natural, carnal, or spiritual? Here's the question. Has Jesus changed your life? If not, don't walk out of these back doors until you open up this door and say yes to him. Man, I, I'm going to tell you, if I, if, I, if I didn't go to bed at night confident that our God was in total control, I'd go stark raving mad right now. These are unprecedented times. And let me say that if I hear that phrase again, I'm going to go crazy, all right? <laughs> Everybody says, these are unprecedented times. I go, no, no doubt. 
so the first mark in our life is going to be knowing Jesus. It's going to be spiritual. That, in fact, I'm going to tell you, these marks, these brands on us, it's like staircase. It's going to be the first step. You've got to take the first step until you take the second step. The first step is in verse 1. You're going to be a spiritual person. But if you're going to be a post-pandemic follower, let me go to verse 3 and give you the second step, the second brand. Listen to what Paul says. He says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So in Paul's mind, it flows so, so perfectly is that when you know Christ being spiritual, the next step in our life is having the spirit of humility. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith. You can't boast that it's your work. I didn't do anything. So of that, I'm not going to think of myself something when I'm nothing. And by the way, we know what pride is in the Bible. In fact, we've been taught all of our life. Pride comes before a fall. Write this verse in your margin of your Bible, Proverbs 16, 18, because that's where we get pride comes before a fall. But here's what the proverb says. The proverb says a haughty spirit comes before a fall. Now, I wanted to know what in the world is a haughty spirit. A haughty spirit is um, it's basically when you need a reality check. I'm just going to tell you, it's just when you think a little bit too much of yourself. You need a, We've all been there. Every one of us has had have a reality check. That's not, that's a fall. That's not pride. The, the, let me give you an illustration. There's a story about Muhammad Ali when he won the Thrilla in Manila. After that fight, he got on the plane, had his, had his championship belt around his waist. He was parading around. The stewardess came up and said, sir, please sit down. We're about to take off. Put your seatbelt on. To which Muhammad Ali kind of quipped, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. To which the stewardess replied, Superman doesn't need an airplane. Okay, put your seatbelt on. We're about to take off. So that was a reality check, okay? That's a haughty spirit. You know what? Pride, according to Proverbs 16, 18, comes before destruction. Now, that's different than a fall. Destruction is an unraveling life. It is when you've gotten to the point where you are self-sustained. You're not listening to anyone else's advice. You're not taking anyone else's counsel. You're bent on doing it your own way. You want it your own fashion. So as that, there's two forms of pride. One, there's arrogance. We hear about that all the time. We can see arrogance coming. But let me tell you, in church life, since I'm dealing with church people, the second form of pride is just as deadly but harder to detect. Not only is it arrogance, it's a thing called false humility. If I were to use the phrase, it's when I'm humble, but proud of it, okay? It, no, it, it is when I'm at the point where I can turn all the phrases. I can use every situation, poor little old me, oh, woe is me, to always receive the glory. Because if you're going to be a pandemic follower of Christ, let me tell you what the difference is. The difference is that we get to the point of realizing it's not about us, it's all about Jesus. See, that's the, there is a, um, I told the, uh, the earlier crowd and, I don't know if y'all have seen it. There's a movie called Courageous. Anybody seen Courageous? Anybody? Okay, several of you have. I am in that movie, all right? And I, you go, well, that's arrogance. Okay, and no, follow along with me. I was, uh, I was down there doing a, a devotional for the film crew. I wasn't supposed to be in the movie. I was about to leave, go home, and right before I left, the, the producer kind of screamed across the room. He said, Scott, do you want to be in this movie? And I'm just like every one of you. I was like, yes, sir, I do. 
a star is born, you know? So I, I went through wardrobe. I mean, I, it was nine hours of filming. We were supposed to be back like at two. We got home at midnight, and man, I was like, this is the critical scene. This is when they were going to arrest the, uh, the bad cop, and because they realized that morning, one uniformed officer would never arrest another uniformed officer. They had to get an officer of internal affairs, and uh, so he would not be in a uniform. He would have to be in a suit. And so help me with my hand in the air. The reason I got the job was I was the only one who could fit in the suit. So I got the job. They invited us to Fox Theater. We were there. We had, I brought a couple of friends. We were watching it, and I knew when the scene was happening. I knew when it was happening. I was like, here it comes. Well, when the scene happens, if you remember, if you've seen the movie, you can't. all you can see is the back of my head. They cut out all my words. They cut out everything but the back of my head. At, when that took place, a guy named Jordy, he was bent over laughing hysterically. <laughs> During a, a, a very dramatic scene, he is laughing uncontrollably. And he said, Dawson, you're not in this movie. You're, you're nothing but a glorified extra, man. And, and, and I mean, I went, wow. Now let me tell you how I've learned this. Zone in. You know what my biggest problem in life is? It's not you. Bobby, you're doing this versus weekend, us versus them. But here's what I've realized. My greatest obstacle in pursuing what God wants in my life is not you. It's me. And if you want to make a difference in the kingdom of God, deny yourself. Step out of the limelight. Realize when you come to Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, Here's biblical truth. He is the leading man. I am nothing but a glorified extra in this thing called life. A pandemic follower of Christ, you're going to know Jesus. Man, all of a sudden, you're going to realize who does it. God can do more in one moment than I can do in a lifetime. Why do I fret? Why do I worry? Why do I stress about trying to come up with the next best program? Maybe it's not the programs we need. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Spiritual, humble, let me give you the third mark. Let's roll. Go down to verse 9. Listen to what Paul says. He says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap, I love this next phrase, if we do not lose heart. If you're taking notes, the third mark, put it down, is the mark of uh, persistence. Persistence. And if I could share this word with someone in the audience, I, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. I don't know where this is going to resonate, but listen to me carefully. Don't give up. It's 2020. Discouragement has been unleashed across society. According to the CDC mental health study, they tell us now that one ever, out of every four Students between the or, or adults 18 to 24 in the last month have considered about just giving up on everything. Everything. I know there are people inside this room that are discouraged and depressed. I want you to hear me. Don't give up. Don't do it. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your church. Don't give up on your city. Don't give up on our state. Don't give up on our country. Don't give up on our world. Don't give up on Jesus. 
He's working in ways that we'll never know. His ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. In fact, some of you are here today, and I'm telling you the greatest point of discouragement, look at me, is you're sitting there and you're going, I don't understand everything that's going on. Can I just be straight up with you? I would be very concerned if I did understand everything about God. In fact, I'm going to go one step further. If you're sitting here this morning, you think you've got everything about your God figured out, and you know everything about your God, <laughs> your God's not big enough. There's no way a finite mind can ever capture an infinite God. So that's the reason Paul says, the man who's writing this, don't forget, if anyone would have wanted to give up, it had to be the Apostle Paul. Everywhere he went, people were trying to hurt him, kill him, or at least throw him into jail. And he'd just say, come on, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And they'd say, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're going to kill you. Paul would say, that's okay to live as Christ, but to die is what? To be absent from the body is to be present with. Paul says, you don't understand. It's not about me. It's all about him. And later on, he writes this phrase that the peace of God that passes, transcends all understanding. I kept wondering, what does that phrase mean? When it passes understanding, then it hit me in 2020. It is when we don't understand everything that's going on. There is a peace that continually longs with you. Man, I pray you're experiencing the peace that passes understanding. When you don't know what's going on, when you're ready to throw your hands up in the air and you hear that gentle spirit inside your soul, don't give up. We shall reap if we do not lose heart. Parkway, do not give up. That's just a brother in Christ trying to come to you and tell you, give you encouragement. Why? Because what would have to happen for us to give up? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, I mean, it really is taking us to the brink of going, you know, what would have to happen for you to just throw your hands up and say, that's it. I'm going to stop following Jesus. And then I realize the only answer we can give is nothing. Because I can't tell you something's not going to take place in your life. You remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? That still impacts our life today. Do you know what the Bible says? That creation moans because of the fall. And I'm not standing up here saying if you've gone through cancer, God's mad at you. If there's been an accident, God's trying to get back at you. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is because we live in a fallen creation, stuff happens, but that doesn't put a condition upon our, our commitment and our relationship with Jesus Christ. We realize I didn't give my life to Christ. I surrendered my life to Christ. And when I've surrendered my life to Christ, it doesn't matter what happens to me. Whatever goes on, it does not put a condition upon that surrender. So ladies and gentlemen, if I could just implore you, don't give up. He's still working. The final mark, let me put it down and then I'm done with you. Go down to verse 14. Well, I'm not done with you. I'll still be your friend, but I'm done with this message. So look down in verse 14. Can y'all tell it's been since March since I've been in front of people? I am, I, okay, verse 14. He says, but God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The fourth mark, put this word down, the word passion. And when I say passion, Please understand, I'm not talking about being just, you know, demonstrative. When I was growing up, I used to think those who are more gregarious must be more passionate about Jesus. Nope. Just some of us drink way too much caffeine. Can I get an amen on that? All right. You know what passion is? Passion is your priority. Passion is your focus. If there's one thing that's trying to rob you right now, it's trying to rob you of your focus. And and, and I got news for you. That, 
we live in a state that's very passionate about college football. I mean, that was the number one concern. If you remember that they said, if you want college football in the fall, this was in spring, our governor said, you better wear your mask. People are upset because students are gathering without your mask. We won't have college football. We, we love college. I did some study. In, in 1869 was the first college football game. The two teams, Princeton versus Rutgers. It says there were 100 people at that game. I thought to myself, if they played last season, they would have probably had the same attendance. But that's a different story, all right? In 2020, we're upset because they're only allowing 22,000 in Jordan-Hare. Enjoy football. I pray we have it. I think we need it. Remember, I'm trying to get as many people together as possible. I'm cheering on these sporting events. Just, we've got to do something. But I'm going to focus on Jesus. That's, that's all I'm asking you. Is what's your focus? Are we just kind of giving him our time, and then we're going to walk out and get right back into our lives? Or have we been consumed by a passion of our friends knowing Jesus? I'm not making light of COVID. It's very serious, very serious. In fact, in 30 minutes, a funeral or a visitation will start for a dear friend of ours that lost her battle during this pandemic. So I know it's real. But I'm going to tell you, you know what's worse than having COVID? Or you know what's worse than the fear of catching COVID? It's a life without Jesus. And if you're in this room and you don't have peace and you don't have hope and you don't have purpose, I'm begging you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God through Jesus. Don't walk out of here the same way you walked in this morning. Don't walk out of here being fearful of what man can do and what things can go on. Would you please understand the same God who brought life back from the grave is the same God that wants to indwell your life today. If Jesus, didn't die, if Jesus didn't resurrect, I'd say, man, we're all in trouble. But because we know the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied, Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's the facts. Unless Jesus comes back, every one of us is going to go through death's door. Every one of us is going to experience that. It, it, it could be tomorrow, or it could be 25, 50, 80 years from now, but every one of us. So we better be ready. But while we're preparing, let's make a difference. There, there's, there's, a, um, there's a book out that does uh, how, many how many days that people lived. And as I read that book, there was one story that captivated me. His name was William Borden. He was a member of the Borden family. Now, you know, they're, they're wealthy, okay? So this was like 100 years ago. When William Borden graduated, 100 years ago, his parents, for his high school graduation, gave him a trip around the world. Our daughter graduated, we gave her a camera. Anyway, all right, so, but on that trip around the world was when William Borden met Jesus. He'd been religious, but that's when he got infected with Jesus. He came back, he went to Yale University. When he got there, he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was so consumed with a passion for Jesus. A hundred years ago, he started one of the very first ministries to reach out to those who are addicted to alcohol. By the time he graduated, over a 1,000 students had professed Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, through a direct witness from William Borden. When he graduated, his parents said, hey, you know what? Name your salary, give yourself a title, everything we got is yours. 
William Borden turned it down. He wanted to be a missionary. He wanted to get the gospel into the Muslim uh, regions. He was, in, uh, he was in Egypt. He was learning Arabic, and that's when he contracted a terminal illness, and he died. He lived 9,297 days, just shy of 24 years of age. When they shipped his possessions home, his parents opened up the crate, and on top of the crate was his Bible. Now, the story goes that after he'd received Jesus, there was not a time anyone could real, uh, remember that William Borden had been separate from his Bible. He just consumed it. They opened up the Bible, and on the inside front cover, there were three life events with two words that described each. The first life event was when he received Jesus. Had out beside it two words, no reserves. The second life event was when he turned down the family fortune and, uh, and, and decided he was going to go into missions. Had out beside it two words, no retreat. The third life experience was when he was found to be terminally ill. Had out beside it two words, no regrets. No reserves, no retreat, no regrets. That's a life worth living. Now, I pray this morning, if you're in this room, you're on this journey with Jesus. But I know in a crowd of this size, I'm or even on live stream, I know I'm speaking to somebody who you don't know Jesus. You know about him, but you don't know him. Man, the greatest privilege I have is to look at you and say, you know what? If you want to have this personal relationship with the living God, it's not by running up and down these aisles. It's not by screaming the top of your lungs. Paul says it as he's quoting from the Old Testament, the book of Romans. Here's what he says. He says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know why I love that verse? Because it says whosoever. It's not everyone but me. It's not everyone but you. It says whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word call is an interesting word. You know what it means? It means to stretch forth. And if I were to give you a mind picture, it'd be like if you were drowning, okay? And you were in a body of water, and you're about to go under for the last time, and right before you went under, a life preserver hits the top of the water. What are you going to do? You're going to reach out, and you're going to grab the life preserver. Now, somebody could be in here this morning going, wait a minute, that means I saved myself. Listen to me. You can't save yourself. You're drowning. You have to trust the life preserver. I want you to hear me. I'm not the life preserver. God just loves us so much, he uses resources to throw the life preserver your way. We're talking about Jesus. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I don't know a better way to lead a person to Christ than by a prayer. And I know that there's people out there going, wait a minute, there's not a prayer in Scripture ever written. And you're exactly right, but can I just remind you of the principle here of prayer. Isaiah in the Old Testament says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord's not going to hear me. Well, that means we got a problem because we've already raised our hands and said we've lied. So we got a problem. God's not going to hear us. But if you go to the New Testament, this guy named Paul, you know what he says in Thessalonians? He says, pray without ceasing. So how do you go from God not hearing your prayer to always wanting you to pray? You go to Jesus. Here's, here, here's the key. What does Jesus say about it? When Jesus met a religious person who thought he knew it all, but he had one question. How can a man be born again? Remember what Jesus said. Do not marvel at this. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. But then he said, you must be born again. How are you born again? Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means your first authentic prayer. It's not before the holiday meal. It's not before the big game. Your first authentic prayer is the prayer of salvation going, 
I saved him. And this morning, if you're in this room and you don't know Christ, I would love to lead you in this. Now, I, I tell everyone, I, I'm not your travel agent, but I can be your tour guide in this. You know what a tour guide? Tour guide goes along with you. They don't experience it for you, but they're right there beside you. And so if you're in this room and you don't know Christ, I want to be your tour guide right now. That if you're in this room and the only condition is that you can't be sitting there going, I'm going to check this thing out. You've got to trust him. You've got to call upon him. That means you don't repeat the words I'm saying. You talk to God. He wants a relationship with you. So if you could, as I close this service, and I, I know you're sitting there going, wow, this has been a little unique. Well, it's 2020. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Would you just bow your head with me all across this room? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And with no one looking around, if I could ask you, just in the privacy of your own moment, without one word speaking, spoken audibly, down in the depths of your soul, if you're sitting there going, man, I need Jesus, would you just, would you just talk to him in your heart? I'll lead you, you, but this is you talking to God. It goes kind of like this. I'll, I'll lead you. It goes, dear God, I know I've done some things wrong, but I know you love me. To the point you sent your son to die on the cross for me. So right now, the best way I know how, I receive you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. I know you love me. Help me to love you. Thank you, God. I now call you Father. I'm just going to ask in this very, I'm going to call it a holy moment. There is a way, there are so many different ways you can reach out to someone to tell someone of what you just did. And the Bible is very clear. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to speak. You, you don't have to tell everyone right now, but you've got to tell someone. And there's some in this side of this room going, man, I know I'm a Christian, but I, I need to talk to someone. In just a few moments, the pastor's going to come, and he's going he's to tell you several different ways where you can have someone reach out to you and help you through it. I'm just going to say, don't be brought to the moment of decision and walk away. I'm going to tell you, there's an illustration of that in the New Testament of the rich young ruler, and it's the saddest story to me in Scripture. He knew it all. He had it played out before him, and he just turned and walked away. So when we talk about responding, I know it's in the midst of a pandemic. I know we can't do the traditional way of responding, but you can still respond. You can still say yes to Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask everyone here, would you just please lift your face and look right up here at me? Everyone here. In just a few moments, Pastor Jeff's going to come, and he's going to talk to you about Parkway and how you can respond to Parkway. But if you're in this room and you just received Christ, or if there's some issues going on in your life and you go, I just need, something, I need, I need someone to help me. I need, I need some resources. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to offer this to you. If you have a smartphone, I mean, if you have an Android, if you have an iPhone, if you have a computer, I mean, if it has iMessage and all that kind of stuff, would, would you just kind of 
write this number down. It is 55498. 55498. Now, here's what you got to do. There's a one-word text. We couldn't do two words. We can only do one. But we're asking you to text the word, help me. And in Alabama, we know how to combine words. So it's help me. Don't make it two words. So if it's autocorrect on, you have to bring it down, help me. And if you do help me to that 55498, it will take you to a website where you can download a book, where you can get six weeks of Bible studies, learn the book of Mark. It gives you the next steps of being a follower of Christ. And here's what I love. As soon as you do that, it is going to send an email to us that we're going to get to Parkway, and they're going to make sure that they know that you're a follower of Christ and be able to follow up with you. So it's 55498, the word help me. And if you would just text help me to that number, someone will get that information. We'll make sure it gets to Pastor Jeff if you're starting your relationship with Christ. Now, there's so many other things that are going on, so many different opportunities. And I'm going to invite Pastor Jeff to come and just kind of share with you. If you're in this room and you want to get some more information about Parkway, become a follower of, of Christ and join this church, he's going to give you some information. Thank you. Pastor, thank you so much.